we did um, we did two weeks on the golden rule and the main emphasis that I tried to bring in the sermons on the golden rule is uh, it's that we value ourselves and we value the way that people treat us the way that people think of us and what Jesus is saying is that we should make sure that we're mirroring that with those um, whom we meet and those that we come across to everyone else. We should treat them in a sense as if they were us. And we should make sure that we are according them the dignity that that we would want them to accord us. What we're going to do now in, uh, this is part 14 of our series on the sanctified life, is we're going to push on from that important rule and we're going to ask a question, what is a person? What is a person? And you might be thinking, well, why is he asking a question like that? I know what a person is. But uh, the answer to this question is different depending on whether you are a biblical Christian or whether you are a secular philosopher or whether you are just somebody who has been influenced in one way or another by the media or by our present world and its opinions. Let me give you an illustration. This is uh, an illustration. It's not mine. It's, uh, it's actually from uh, a writer called John Frame. He says, imagine that uh, I was on a hum- hunting trip with somebody else and we, were, we decided to separate and maybe an hour a half an hour, something like that, past the time that we separated, I heard or saw a rustling in the trees. I couldn't see what was there, but maybe it was the deer that I was looking for. Maybe. But maybe it was my friend. Should I take the shot? I don't know. I don't know that it's not him. And I don't know that it is him. So since I don't know, what should my decision be? What should my conclusion be? Well, not to shoot. Obviously, just in case. Now, that is a very important principle. It's a principle of carefulness. It's a principle of wisdom. It's a principle that uh, is based on what may happen and the cost, the high cost of what may happen. And so we err on the side of caution. But many people today, they use arguments which are 
actually contrary to the one that you've just answered there. You've just told me that you shouldn't pull the trigger because you don't know what it is. But there are many people, and this is just an introduction here, but there are many people who could not say that a person who is, has a brainwave and as somebody who um, seems to respond in certain ways to certain stimuli or, or the presence of loved ones, that just because they can't actually give a verbal response and because they can't move to show their response, that they are not persons. They are just machines. It's just their body that is... Um, that is kind of working or half working, but they're not a person. You see, the separation in the thinking of uh, many secular people is that just because the body is maybe functioning in some ways doesn't mean you're a person. Or, let's put it more bluntly, just because you're a human being doesn't mean you're a person. You need to think about that. Just because you're a human being doesn't mean you're a person. Now, when you separate the body and its functions from the idea of personhood, you get into the mess that we're in today. And you start allowing that certain humans are not persons. And what, then what you have to do is that you have to decide where to draw the line. What qualifies a human being as being a person? What disqualifies them? Many of you may remember the uh, uh, Terry Schiavo in, well this is back a long time ago now, 15 or so years ago in Florida, the lady who had a heart attack, a stroke, and uh, she was in a bed, a hospital bed, um, and she was um, diagnosed as being in a vegetative state. Her husband wanted to pull the plug. Also, by the way, materialized not long after that he was in an affair, but I'm sure that didn't have anything to do with it. But her parents had offered to take her home and to care for her. But the judge decided that the best thing to do was to pull the plug and to starve her to death. Because she was a non-person, you see, even though she did actually respond to uh, the presence of her mother and father. But you see, she was a non-person. The separation of the concept of human being from the concept of personhood. And this is what has brought about all of the evils, and they are evils, of the modern day, including abortion, including euthanasia and that movement, um, the eugenics movement of the early 
20th century, which is still, by the way, alive and well. The eugenics movement has to do with people who, if they are perhaps crippled or if they are mentally a little bit deficient or maybe even of the wrong color or the wrong race, using the term race in the way the world uses it. Remember, we are all one human race in the Bible. That the... uh, what, what that comes to, or what that means, is that um, certain people qualify as persons and certain ones don't. And you should get rid of the ones that don't so that you have a stronger gene pool. The Nazis bought into this. But you see, the Nazis got it from... Um, they actually got it from American philosophers and thinkers, from the, and uh, well, English too, from the eugenics movement. That movement is still alive and well today. <laughs> there is a, a uh, very strange place called the Georgia Guidestones. And uh, it was set up, nobody knows exactly who it was set up, but, but you should Google the Georgia Guidestones. It is set up and it has ten commandments on it. The first of them is that the human race needs to be decreased to around about 500 million people. Somebody with a lot of influence put it up. Happens to be, by the way, strangely enough, 666 miles away from the United Nations building. I'm sure that's just a coincidence. But um, they put they set a drone on on top of this uh, the Georgia guy stones, and there is a stain, a, looks like a blood stain, on top of uh, on top of it. The person who supposedly put it uh, up was, uh, I forget exactly, I think it's R.C. Christian or something. But anybody who knows anything about that knows that they were, the person that did it was at least a Rosicrucian. Um, I won't go into that because that's, that takes us off the idea. But the fact is, somebody believes that we need to reduce the world population by significant amount. Although what that would mean, what would that mean? It would mean that somebody in power has to decide who has a right to live. And the way that you start doing that is that you start to designate a person from a non-person. Whether they're a human being isn't the question. It's whether they're a person or a non-person. You set the criteria where you want to set the criteria. We'll see that when we talk about abortion. Not today, but um, probably next week. It's where you set the bar, you see. If they're not a person, then they're just a machine or a lump of matter and you can do with them what you want do you see? You can harvest their organs, you can chop them up you can do what you want with them you can gas them you can put them into concentration camps 
You can do anything you want with them. Do you understand the mentality? What is a person? There's a very good book, and we really should get it on our bookstore shelves here. It's by Nancy Piercy, who's a very good thinker. It's called Love Thy Body. It's actually very good. I've read most of it. It's an easy read. And uh, she doesn't just describe the situation that we're in. She also uh, talks about how Christians can do something about it, or at least form an opinion and argue for a Christian worldview. But this is page 88. She just gives you an idea of um, the way the world thinks about this. Many of you would probably know that Margaret Sanger was the founder of Planned Parenthood in 1921. And PSU says, Modern feminists honor her as an early promoter of birth control, but many do not know that she she also promoted death control, euthanasia. The one being to bring entrance into life under control of reason, as she put it, and the other to bring exit of life under that same control. She wrote, quote, The most merciful thing that the large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. End quote. Margaret Sanger, Planned Parenthood. Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. was one of the most revered Supreme Court justices in American history. Many are surprised to learn that he too was an avid Darwinian, and all this is based on Darwinism, who supported euthanasia and eugenics. He penned the infamous Buck versus Bell decision in 1927, supporting compulsory sterilization laws. Have you heard about those? Yeah? Thousands and thousands of Americans were sterilized forcibly. In private correspondence, he also advocated, quote, putting to death infants that didn't pass the examination, end quote. The governor of Virginia just a few years ago was asked whether if an aborted baby was allowed to, you know, just the abortion didn't work, it failed, should, what, they should, what should they do with the baby? And he, should, he said they should allow it to die. Okay? What is a person? Is it just a thing? Do you see how this, this uh, links into the golden rule? I hope that you do. Clarence Darrow, trial lawyer best, lawyer best known for arguing in favor of Darwinism in the Scopes trial of 1925, Uh, said that it would be a good idea to chloroform unfit children, show them the same mercy that is shown beasts that are no longer fit to live. Peter Singer, perhaps the most um, 
authoritative, unfortunately, and influential ethicists in the world, Princeton University, believes that a human being, a baby, is no more important than a slug. So, the question is pertinent. And it's a question that Christians need to make sure that they have a proper understanding of. What side of the question are we going to stand on? Are we going to get our ideas from the world when that, there's a, that's a sampling of their idea? Are we going to get our ideas, our worldview from the Bible? If we can't answer this question, what is a person? We can't answer the question on abortion or euthanasia. And we cannot further say that what the Nazis were doing, because the general populace of Germany thought it was a good idea in exterminating Jews and gypsies and cripples and so on, was evil. Because they were spoken of as if they were non-persons before the concentration camps were built. So we need to see what scripture says about being a person. And I need to say this before uh, going into the text, Psalm 139, that Views of what a person is are not, rather, it's not a scientific question. It's got nothing to do with science. Science can't, you know, test for personality. It can't test whether a person is a person. This is a moral and philosophical question. This is a worldview question. And Christians should have only one answer to this question. Let's turn to our text in Psalm 139. This is David, of course. And in verse 13, speaking to God, You formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. Notice, you covered me, me, in my mother's womb. He was a I, he was a person with an identity. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. That's not, that's a figure of speech for the mother's womb, okay? In other words, hidden, when I was knit together, hidden. We shouldn't think that David thought that God was tinkering away underground. Your eyes saw my substance yet being unformed. 
my substance, body, soul. And in your book, they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Here's the biblical worldview set out very clearly indeed. God knew you before you were even conceived. You were a you. You were a person in God's mind before you were even you even came into the world. Before, as uh, my wife likes to say, before you were even a star. In God's mind, you are a person. In Psalm 51 and verse 5, David, he's speaking and confessing here his own sin, but uh, there is a passage, or rather an, an exclamation here, that's very important for us to understand. Verse 5, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Not that she was in sin, <laughs> Not, but, but he was a sinner in the womb. Well, a, being a sinner is a what? A moral indictment, isn't it not? Is it not? So if, in order to be a sinner before you were born, you have to be a person. It's things, blobs, are not sinners. People, persons are sinners. And then, of course, we remember that when Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, visited, or Mary visited Elizabeth, it says that the child, John, leapt in the womb. Luke 1.44 Now, any mother will tell you that the child that they're carrying responds to the mother's voice or to the father's voice in the womb to certain stimuli and so on in the womb they're persons we cannot separate the idea of the body the human body from the human soul they are one a human being is a, an ensouled body. Therefore they are a person. And if you don't do that, if you don't start there, you've got to draw the line somewhere. Where are you going to draw it? And then, if you've drawn it there, does everybody have to agree with you? Or can somebody draw it a little higher up? Somewhere you wouldn't like. As we'll see next week. Lord willing, when I read a little bit from a little story called The Pre-Persons, the author there, trying to make a point, drew it at the age 12, when people learned algebra. With the ability to learn algebra, you were considered a person. It's utterly arbitrary, is it not? But where should, should it be lowered or should it be made higher? What designates a person? If you do not have a biblical view, 
the line will, you'll have to draw the line somewhere. But you'll have no basis other than a world view to draw it anywhere. And somebody with a different worldview and maybe a lot more power may draw it in a place that you don't want it to be drawn. David here in Psalm 139, he speaks about being covered by God in my mother's womb. In the womb, David was not his mother. They weren't the same person. They were separate persons. And this should settle it for us. So we've looked briefly, and I've, this has been deliberately brief, on secular views about persons. We'll say a little bit, bit more about that next week. We've looked briefly at what Scripture says a person is, although there's one thing, of course, that I've left out, and that is that every human being is created in the image of God. And so thirdly here, we have to look at persons and God. Because God is the ultimate person. God is the ultimate person. The ultimate personality. The ultimate being. And we are made, every one of us, in his image and in his likeness. Now, if that's true, a person might say, okay, well, we're made in his image and likeness, but we don't know exactly, I mean, scientifically, we don't know exactly where that is. And I might say, okay, fair enough, but let's go back to the shooting illustration. Where should I shoot or not? If there's a doubt, do I pull the trigger? Even on that basis, do you see, we treat others as we ourselves would want to be treated. In the, in the book on page 60 to 61, uh, Piercy talks about a debate between Robert George for the Christian worldview, he's a philosopher from uh, Princeton, I believe, and the philosopher Stanley Fish. Let me read this to you. Put bluntly, abortion, and we're focusing, we'll just focus on abortion here for this argument. Abortion supporters have lost the argument on the scientific level. They can no longer deny that an embryo is biologically human. As a result, they have switched tactics to an argument based on personhood, defined ultimately by their own personal views and values. You see, it's a moral decision. It's nothing got to do with science. It's a moral decision. And I say we should have the highest morals possible 
in determining whether a human being is a person. And when their view is codified into law, their private values are imposed on everyone else. This switch in tactics was evident in a fascinating debate a few years ago. It began when Professor Stanley Fish wrote in the journal First Things that pro-lifers have no right to bring their views into the public arena. Why not? Because their views are, not ba- are based on faith, he claimed, while abortion advocates base their views on science. Robert George of Princeton challenged Fish to a debate at a meeting of the American Political Science Association. In his paper, George argued that in reality it is the pro-life position that is based on science. As is customary, the two scholars exchanged their papers ahead of time. When the meeting opened, Fish threw George's paper on the table and announced, quote, Professor George is right and he is right to correct me, end quote. The admission was met by stunned silence. Fish later explained his startling turnaround. Supporters of abortion have typically cast themselves as defenders of rational science against the forces of ignorance and superstition, he said. But when science began inexorably pushing back the moment when life begins, quote, they shifted tactics. Nowadays, it is pro-lifers who make the scientific question of when the beginning of life occurs the key one, while pro-choicers want to transform the question into a metaphysical or religious one by distinguishing between mere biological life and moral life. The phrasing mere biological life versus moral life is Fish's way of saying body versus person. Well, I'll say that. I'll say something for Stanley Fish. I don't think much of him. But uh, he at least went up a few notches and in my esteem by being honest enough to see that the pro-choice movement doesn't have any scientific basis for its arguments whatsoever. It's based on opinion. So, true for the euthanasia uh, uh, decision too. And believe me, because God has stated very clearly that every human being is made in his image and in his likeness, those people who advocate that a human being might just be as valuable as a slug will meet with the wrath of God. And this principle of being treated in the way that you want to be treated. God hates hypocrites. Our view of what a person is ought to be based on what God says a person is. A human being is a person by definition. And whether they have fully functioned, functioning uh, body parts, whether they have missing body parts, whether they have fully functioning uh, brains and minds, and those are not the same thing, whether they are in the womb 
or whether they are old and infirm and can't do very much, has got nothing to do with whether they are a person. They are still in the image of God. Now please understand this. Please understand that that is the biblical position. It can be set out much more rigorously than that, but I've said enough. And that means when the questions come up, the hot button issues come up, about sexuality, about euthanasia and the right to die, as they call it, euphemistically. Uh, often the uh, rest of the family's willingness to have the adults bumped off so that they can share inheritance or whatever, or not have to look after them. Or whether it's the baby in the womb. They're all persons. So that's your question, you know. What is it? Years ago, um, in a, a church I pastored in Napa, we had uh, the apologist Greg Kokel come and uh, he did a talk on abortion. And one of the illustrations was this, that a child comes in uh, while the mother is busy in the kitchen and she has her back turned to him and he asks, can I kill this? Can I kill this? Well, what is the mother to do? You need to find out what it is. Surely. Is it a cat? If it's a cat, you wouldn't want to kill it. You wouldn't want the boy to kill it, yes? If it's a human being, then the answer has to be no. But you have to ask, what is it? And the human being is a person. Let's pray. So, Lord, help us not to be confused by this. Help us to be clear about this. Lord, it's not about what we think and where we draw a line. Who are we? We don't have the authority to judge in these matters. And when we try to judge in these matters, Lord, our judgment is completely arbitrary and we allow for all kinds of cruelty and we violate the golden rule. So I pray, Heavenly Father, that everyone in this church would understand that the hot-button issues are easily answered by the Scripture. If the person
is in the image of God, then the questions of abortion and euthanasia are answered. We don't expect the world to agree with us, but we ought to agree with you. And I pray, Lord, that all of those attending this church will have it clear in their minds that a human being and a person are the same thing. Amen.